Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at ElevatePod.com. In this guide, created by yours truly, you'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at ElevatePod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here, and I am blessed and grateful to be sitting with Dave Levinsky today. Today, you're going to learn about business planning and why that is the key to unlocking your future. You're also going to learn about the confidence mindset. You're also going to learn about the football mindset and how that can transform your company. You're also going to learn, by the way, about greatness and how to raise $500 million. You want to raise $500 million in a short period of time. Today's episode is for you. You're going to learn about tracking key performance indicators in your business and developing a system towards creating outcomes in your life through your business. Today's episode is awesome. I'm so excited to be with you. And Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. Today's episode is no different. You're going to love this episode today. I am your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. And before we dive into this podcast, I want to invite you to pay the fee. And the fee is to pay it forward. Share this episode with one friend, one person that you know in your network. Maybe share it on social media. Uh, If you've already done that in the past, we appreciate that. All we ask is that you do that one more time and pay it forward. Because the only way that we can grow is that if we earn the introductions from you. And this podcast community is growing substantially, and we just want to thank you so much. We're so thankful for you, so thankful to have the opportunity to pour into you. Also, give us a rating, a review, and subscribe or follow Elevate Podcast and wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts. We're going to continue to bring the heat. And again, we're so thankful for you. I am so thankful for you. Uh, if you've left a, left us a review in the past, we appreciate that. Um, go ahead and share this episode now. And let's go ahead and dive in. I want to introduce you to Dave Levinsky, who is the president and co-founder of Growthink. Over the past 20, 20 years, he has helped over 1 million entrepreneurs and business owners start, grow, and exit their companies with an emphasis on business planning and capital raising. We're going to keep it simple today, and I'm telling you that simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. We do not have to overcomplicate to go and do big things, and that's what today's episode is all about. So without further ado, please enjoy this awesome discussion with Dave Levinsky. Dave Levinsky, welcome to Elevate, my friend. How are you? Good to see you. Everything's good. How are you? I'm great, man. I'm great. I'm excited to be with you today. Uh, Dave, before we dive into this conversation, I know we're going to learn so much today about business planning. We're going to learn about dashboards. We're going to learn about capital raising and and so much of your expertise that you've built and exhibited over the past 20 plus years in your career. And you've done it such a high level. But before we dive into this conversation, which I'm sure will even expand beyond that, 
if you were to describe yourself in the way that your closest friends, family members, people who know you best, what would they say about Dave Levinsky? My friends would say that I was crazy or insane. <laughs> one, one, one of the two. I mean, most of my friends, my close friends are, are not entrepreneurs. They don't start things. They don't grow things. And I think they all think um, slightly or more than slightly insane. And I think that's a good thing. I'm okay with that. I think people that, I think all people are sort of at least slightly insane. And when somebody, to me, I meet them, they're not insane. They're sort of boring. I think someone's <laughs> boring if they don't have that extra pizzazz and extra energy. And, you know, I think about things a little bit differently than most people as, you know, an entrepreneur for pretty much my whole life and always starting things and tinkering with things. That's what I enjoy doing. So like, you know, it's always here, but like, you know, your work, you should enjoy what you do. I love what I do. I love coming to work. And so that's why I'm an, I'm an entrepreneur. So I think you have to be a little bit crazy to do that. You have to think a little bit differently. You got to act a little bit differently. So I think they all think I'm, I'm a little off. I'm okay with it. <laughs> that's so funny. You say that because I, I share a similar experience. Most of my friends are not entrepreneurs. They're not investors. And of course, you and I, I'm sure, have made so many friends over the years in doing what we do, right? And surrounding ourselves with like-minded people, people who may we may consider insane as well. But it is interesting that you say that. Just coming off the holidays, I noticed that many of my friends and family members, they won't even ask, hey, what's going on? Because they just, they don't even want to go there because they're like, you're insane, <laughs> to your point. But maybe we like it that way. So, so Dave, tell us a little bit about your upbringing, your backstories. Give us a sense of where you came from, what life was like gr growing up, uh, and so we can get more of an understanding of where you came from. Sure. So I grew up in, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. I grew up in, in Long Island. I have a little bit of the accent left. I went to, uh, I went to college at University of Virginia. So they, uh, they gave me a really hard time. So my accent got, uh, I, I used to talk like this, you know, I used to talk a lot differently, but uh, they made, made a lot of fun with me. I, made, uh, I was actually a very good athlete as a kid. I played soccer. I, I wrestled at University of Virginia. And so, um, that's why I, I wanted to go down there. It was a, it was a great uh, sports program down there. So I uh, came back to New York after college, worked for a few different firms doing this and that, mostly market research. I was really interested in, in marketing and market research. I thought it was, I find it fascinating. I find market research fascinating, you know, what you learn when you speak to, to customers. And um, went from there and had the interest in starting my own businesses. And so I launched something on the side and then, uh, well, going back quickly to growing up, my parents were both uh, educators for the New York City Board of Education. So education was very highly stressed to me as a kid. So rather than, um, you know, I did a business on, on the side, it wasn't doing great. And I said, well, rather than keep going down the road, why as, might as well learn more about business and starting a business. So I actually went to uh, business school at UCLA, which at the time, now I'm going back to 1997, at the time was the number one entrepreneurship MBA program in the world. So I'm like, that's my place, warm weather, we're cool. So went to, went to UCLA. Um, and then during the two years there, I my, what a business I wanted to start was a smoothie business. This is right um, when the smoothie business nationwide was starting to heat up. And then while most business school students were taking these expensive uh, or high paying consulting jobs over the summer, I actually worked for at minimum wage for uh, two different juice bars. So I'm, um, you know, close to 30 years old, working minimum wage, juice bars, learning the business. That, that's just been my mindset always. Hey, if you're going to do something, learn the business. And I actually started growing uh, my knowledge of that. I created a shelf stable smoothie product that I was going to market back in 1999. 
And that's when my wife came home from the doctor and said, I'm pregnant and I want to quit my job. <laughs> and so that thing, and that's right when I was graduating from business school, I had to put the smoothie business on the side. And what I said at the time was like, I had to make money relatively quickly because my wife was leaving you know, her job. And so I said, well, what I can do is I can write business plans. I taken a course in, in, in business school on business plan writing. I was, I'd done it a couple of times before. I was pretty good at it. And so I, I did a pitch to a few different sources, Inc. Magazine, Entrepreneur Magazine, and the Los Angeles Times saying, hey, I'm a student graduating from business school. You know, everyone starting dot-coms at the time, it was 1999. I have a team of other business school students that are with me uh, able to write business plans for anyone that needs a business plan, which wasn't fully true. I had friends, but no one was really on board at the time. And the LA Times ran the story about my company and which wasn't even, it didn't even exist before they ran the story. And that day, and this is 99, where, you know, not everyone was on email, but I remember getting like 50, 100 emails, a whole bunch of phone calls. I had some terrible front page website that I put together. And so that's how my, um, my business growth thing was born, which was started as a straight business plan business. We wrote business plans for companies. So I was back in 1999. So that, that sort of was the big uh, push that got me into the business. And then you know, I've always been of the mindset of, you know, throw some, throw some spaghetti at the wall, see what sticks, whatever works, just pound it. Like, you know, if something works, just go after it really, really hard. And so we did business plan consulting for many years. And that started, you know, it was good, but we couldn't grow that much further. And then I started creating a business plan templates as a product. And so we created business plan templates and we started creating what we call sector business plan templates, restaurant business plan template, real estate business plan template, bakery business plan template. Then we created another another software of this. Now, now a couple years later, everything started being more uh, software as a service. We, we created a company called planbuilder.com, which basically can go on, your, on the website and create a business plan there. So basically I've always like gone after things and then figure out what's the next thing. And then with business planning, um, a lot of our clients came back, hey, can you help us raise capital? So we created Growth and Capital, which is a capital raising investment bank that we do that. We do some M&A work there too. So it's always that, you know, and, and I, a lot of times I try things and a lot of things don't work. Like, you know, I consider myself a pretty good entrepreneur. I've been doing it for a while, but I still fail a lot of times. So what, what has worked for me really well is trying things, figuring out out of the 10 things I try, which one or two are actually working and then just block out everything else. Say, you know, I'm a loser. You know, and I, I'm, I'm pretty good self-esteem. So I'm like, yeah, I lost, but this was the winner. Hey, let's pound that winner. Let's spend all of our time executing on that winner and be successful in, in the winner. And that's, that's served me pretty well. That's awesome. I want to go back to some of the earlier parts of your story. And by the way, that was very comprehensive and that, that helped me gain more of a perspective of how you arrived to this very unique position. And and I love your entrepreneurial spirit and being willing to fail, by the way, because look, if we're not willing to fail, we're never going to put ourselves in position to succeed, especially as entrepreneurs, investors, there are going to be failures all along that path. And so that's, that was a great nugget, but tell me what was the first business you started before you went to UCLA? Because you went to UCLA because you wanted to learn how to refine your skills, but you started a business before that, right? What was that business? Sure. Well, my first business was to, as a kid was a snow blowing business. Okay. So I was shoveling, you know, growing up in New York, there's a lot of snow. I shoveled yards and then I actually invested the money in a snow blower. 
which was very unique. So I was dealing with a snowblower. And then what I did is I started getting contracts with neighbors. So the big thing on a snow day was that by, you know, like 3 p.m., you're done because every other kid in the neighborhood was going out and shoveling snow. So every house was, was clear. So basically by getting contracts, I had a full day of work with my snowblower. So I was making a lot of money there. But in terms of my uh, business before business school, I had taken this market research knowledge that I did and I created basically a market research consulting firm. And I was doing market research for, for different companies. And I really, at the time, I didn't know anything about sales. Probably that was probably the biggest thing I was lacking was I'm naturally pretty good at sales because I'm only gonna sell something that I believe in. And that's like, to me, like the biggest thing, like if you really believe in your passion about your product or service, you can actually do a pretty good job selling. But I didn't really have the sales skills. And I just didn't really understand as much, you know, how do you create something more complex? And I always wanted more than just services. I wanted to be able to sell products as well. And I just didn't understand how to, how to do that. But my first business, pre uh, like professional business was, was market, a market research consulting firm. Got it. Got it. So you go to UCLA and you start that firm, right? And then the New York Times picks you up. Like, how did that happen? How did that come about? Well, it was, it was the LA Times. Just to, Oh, I'm sorry. The, the LA Times put the story on my business plan firm because I pitched them, you know, a unique story. It was a unique story that, hey, you know, we're in the, at the time we didn't know it was the dot-com bubble, but everyone's starting these dot-coms and people needed business plans in order to raise capital. Um, they actually need business plans in order to structure their business. They didn't know that, but they wanted a business plan to raise capital. And what was unique was that I had a group of other entrepreneurs that were running other businesses that had expertise in business planning that were doing writing business plans on the side to help fund their own businesses. And that was that was really a unique spin. It was a unique offering um, in terms of people weren't there weren't a lot of people out there writing business plans, and it was very unique that I had a team of. MBA students or you know, recently graduate MBA students that had the real expertise of not only business planning, but actually entrepreneurship. That's a very unique skill set. And so the LA Times thought it was very unique and did a, a pretty much like a half a, a, a newspaper article on it. And so it was pretty prominent. That's huge. So you actually yeah. were actively pursuing that type of media. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I, I needed to make money quickly because, because my, my wife wanted to quit her job. She, <laughs> she worked at a, a very prominent hotel in Santa Monica, California, and where the employees parked, there was signage, you know, because I don't know, you know, in California has all these signs. Now, according to the state of California, you know, there are, you know, carcinogens here, you know, toxins here that, that could cause birth defects. And my wife's like, I'm not <laughs> here you know, it's like, and so that's why I had the impetus, like, and I thought, well, how do I make money quickly? And I thought, you know, hey, I can do business plans. And then how do I get the word out there quickly? And I said, well, you know, I would love PR. I would love if a magazine or newspaper writes it up. And I, and I, and I did stop there. After the LA Times story, I did not try to pursue more media for probably a couple of years. There's no real need to. Um, but yeah, it was th that story just, you know, just propelled the company. Yeah. That's one motivating factor, right? You've got a, a family that's beginning. You're an entrepreneur, exactly. a fledgling entrepreneur. And it's like, we need to get some eyes on this business and we need to start generating some profit. So I, I, I love that. Yeah. By the way, how old is your uh, son or daughter now? I mean, is that, what's that 21 uh, years old now? Funny because my son, Max, when we started growing the company, uh, these guys got a uh, max.com uh, you know, hats. <laughs> And they got it from my son, you know, who was, you know, three months all the time. So my son is, uh, is 21. He turned 21 last year. So it's pretty much lines up with the, 
with the, you know, the growth of the company was, you know, the company's, you know, 21 and a half years, 22 years now. Um, yeah, so he's, he's probably 22 in April. And so, yeah, it's, it's great. My daughter's, my daughter's a couple years behind. She's 19, but yeah. So he's uh, almost 22. That's also it's a nice way to, to see how old the company is. That's so cool. My wife is pregnant with twins right now, due in about right, two months. And so, you know, we've had some similar conversations in some ways. Obviously we're, we're in different uh, positions, but I think many of the listeners can relate to like, all right, there's life happening. And so now how are we going to react? How are we going to get on offense rather than be on defense? And I, I, I think that's a great example, but then obviously fast forwarding, I mean, you wrote, you literally wrote the book, start at the end. And that's about business planning. It's about having a vision and executing on that vision. And I love the subtitle, how companies can grow bigger and faster by reversing their business plan. So let's first talk about that. First of all, why is it important and what have you learned over the years, you know, since starting the business, since consulting with so many, give us a sense of from a high level and then we'll drill into the details. Sure. So what I've learned and what I put in the book is that what you want to do for any entrepreneur business person is say, um, what is my goal? Now, what is that? Ending? Where do I want to be in five years? You know, we always ask the question, you know, you know, what do you want when you're a kid? You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be in five years? So what is your goal? What do you want to achieve? And I, in the book, I talk about like for football, like every football team, it's pretty easy. Our goal is to win the Super Bowl. And for in school, it's very easy because my goal is to do well in this test or to get in this college. But in business, it's hard. So it's, it's you know, what I want you to do is think about, okay, where do I want to be in 10 years? What is my ultimate goal? Is my goal to grow this business and sell it? Is my goal to just keep growing and go public, just to give it to my kids or whatever? What is a long-term goal? And say, hey, here's where I want to be in, in 10, it's called 10, 20 years. And then say, well, where do I need to be in five years to be on the right trajectory, the right path to getting it? So you say, well, eventually I want to take my company public. Well, in five years, I need to be here. I need to be at a hundred million revenues. I need to have X employees. I need to have X, Y offices. You know, where do you want to be? Just map that out. I know it's a pipe dream, but just like draw it down. And then you say, well, where do I need to be? And, you know, it's, it's nice because we're it's nearly January 1st for us right now. You say, where do I need to be at the end of next year to put me on the trajectory to get to my five-year plan? And then I even break it down further. What do I need to accomplish this quarter to get me on the path to achieve my annual goal? What do I need to accomplish this month to get me on the path to achieve my, my quarterly goal? And what do I need to achieve this week? And then what do I need to achieve this day? So my success, if I had to say what my success boils down to, it boils down to figuring out where I want to be, creating a plan to get there, and then not getting distracted by, you know, because everyone gets this shiny object syndrome, it's so easy to get distracted, and to say, well, what do I need to achieve this month to get me on the plan to achieve my quarterly goal, which helps me achieve my annual goal and my five-year goal and my ultimate goal. And with monthly, we figure out, I meet with my team and I have I say, here are my company goals. What are your individual goals? Just make sure they, they coordinate, like they all match up and they're gonna all help us do what we wanna do. And then we break it down into weekly. And every week we say, okay, what is everyone work on this week? How is, is this going to hit our monthly goal? And then for me personally, I don't get with my team. I don't get granular on the daily goals. So if my weekly goals are this, well, what do I need to do today? And so what I do is I, I block out my calendar. I'm really diligent about saying, you know, Hey, one hour with, with Tyler today, right? Nothing else is happening. And obviously nothing else is happening because we're on a call and I can't, I can't check my email. I can't answer my phone. And, but I look at the rest of my day like this as well. So if I have an hour or two where I'm writing an article, 
I'm not checking my email. I'm not checking my phone. I'm getting that article done in that hour. And that takes some, a lot of discipline, but you do that long enough and then you figure out, well, okay, actually this time I did the article, it took me an hour and 20 minutes. And so I blocked out an hour and a half. But you, you block, you block everything out, you plan it out. And it sounds sort of boring and, and not fun, but yes, I do have, I do have time for brainstorming and creativity and about a lot of means where we go off topic. But at the end of the day, I'm blocking out 80% of my time is blocked out into hourly chunks where, I'm, where I know exactly what I'm doing and I'm not going to distract. So Dave, why do so many companies that are otherwise poised for significant growth miss the mark on business planning? Why do they fail at business planning? What have, what have you seen over the years? Well, business planning is not fun. <laughs> it's much more fun to go off to shiny objects and say, hey, this is a great idea. And that's not to say that you don't go off to shiny objects. What we do is if we hear of a new product service system, we say we, someone takes notes on it, they present it at the next meeting, we think about it, and then, then a month later, we say, hey, do you think we should do that? We give it some time. Because what happens is that 80% of the time, we're like, thank goodness we didn't go in that direction. Right? It's so easy to say, oh my goodness, this tool, this service, this idea is great. And you just go down that rabbit hole. And most times, as we talked earlier, most things don't work. So might as well sit on it for a little time. And that's being entrepreneurial, but it's not being impulsive. And so I think a lot of companies don't want a business plan because they don't want to stay focused. They don't want, they don't want to, you know, if a lot of times that they'll do it, then they won't follow it. So a lot of times they, you know, you need to do the plan to figure out where you want to be. Do you need to have a 25 page written plan? No, you at least, at least need to sit down and say, okay, what do I want to accomplish? You know, if 2022 starting, what do I want to accomplish in 2022? What are my goals? And that's pretty straightforward. Now, most people going back to business planning, I go to the gym every day. I hate January's at the gym. I oh, me it. too. Me too. <laughs> February, you know, even by like, it's sort of embarrassing though, but like by January 18th, it's empty again. It's crazy. And so it's sort of saving a business plan. It's like people don't want to create a plan because then they actually have to follow the plan. But you think about it, following the plan is going to get you where you want to go. Yeah. And so, you know, you got to use tricks. Like my gym tricks are, and my, I, I despise running. I hate it. So what I do is I, whenever I hear a song that I like, I, you know, I heart it like on Spotify. I make my favorite, and I've been doing this for 30 years. I take the songs I like, I put it on my soundtrack as my favorite songs. I will never listen to it at any other time. If it's in a, a restaurant, I will leave the restaurant. I will send <laughs> the car. I will skip it. I only listen to my favorite songs when I run. That gives me excitement to run. Hey, I get to listen to these songs that I love. And same thing that I do same, like that in the gym. I have a different soundtrack for the gym. <laughs> Figure out how to make it fun. And usually, business-wise, it becomes fun when you start making more money. And that be, that's, no question. that's the joy. Is you start being more successful, but you got you to sort of gamify it. You got to make it fun. Once again, the main fun is getting money and then treat yourself. You did it, had a successful month, go buy yourself something nice. Maybe it's a nice restaurant or something. That's not to be a ridiculous thing, but, you know, have fun with it. But, you know, with the business planning, it's having the, um, just the diligence and willpower actually sit down and think through it. And it's scary. It could be scary what you want to do. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of people have been told, you know, not to dream big because when they do, they, they oh, you're never going to achieve that negative. Get the negative side, write down where, what you want to achieve 
write down, you know, long-term and what do you need to achieve in 2022 to get on the path and then figure out what, how are you going to get there? Right. If I want to flip 26 houses, well, that means in January, you probably got to flip two. Okay. And what do you need to do to flip two houses in January? You need to do this research. You need to hire this person. You need to plan it out. And so, you know, and if you do 26 in a year, by the end of the year, you know, what is your staff? What does your team look like? You can't think, you know, short term. You got to think, well, well, hey, we need to have a staff of X people by the end of the year. Well, that means you need to hire somebody in the next month. Well, to hire somebody next month, you need to start today. You need to create the job description today. So you really need to just, that's all start the end is. Figure out where you want to go and figure out what, what the steps are to get there. So uh, to me, it's not rocket science. And maybe that's just my brain. I'm, I'm very organized and, and lots, a lot of people aren't like that. And that's okay. That's why, that's why we have, you know, there are firms like mine that actually will help you write your plan. There's other firms that do it too, but you know, some people are very much like that. If you look at Elon Musk, which I don't compare myself anything to him, because he's obviously a, a different kind of great genius. He can think an idea and then write on a, on a napkin and he'll get billions of dollars of funding because not only does he have a track record of success, he does that in his mind. He plans that he's able to plan out, I need to do this, this, this. He just does it naturally. And so you think, well, a lot of great entrepreneurs, they actually plan it naturally in their head. They don't need that business plan. But most of us, we need to plan it out very specifically and get others focused around us. I think it's very insightful what you mentioned about uh, most people don't want to stay, get and stay focused. And I think it's important to have that type of self-awareness as human beings to say, all right, well, if that's a natural tendency, how do we fight against that? Because if we want to be great, we've got to fall in love with the mundane, right? The mundane is how we execute on greatness and, and really get closer to our success. And ultimately, I also feel that it's important for us to not only design and get clear, crystal clear on our vision for our future, but also the purpose for obtaining that. I think that that adds a little bit of motivation, some inspiration to fall in love with that mundane. Because sometimes if you don't see the bigger picture, it's like, well, yeah, I, I know I should be writing this article or I should be making this call or I should be designing this pitch or I should be uh, speaking on stage or whatever it is. You know, but if I don't understand the purpose behind that, then of course, why am I going to fall in love with that mundane? How am I going to train my brain? How am I going to, you know, release that dopamine by falling in love with the process? And so you talked about the football mindset. I wanted to go back to that just a little bit because I think this is important. It's easy if you're a football player, if you're if you're in the NFL, and I'm not saying that's easy, right? But it's easy to know what the goal is, right? It's to win the Super Bowl. When you're an entrepreneur, when you're an investor, it is much more challenging. And so could you talk a little bit about that and how you support your clients and how you've done this yourself on getting that clarity of what that what that future should look like? I mean, the crystal clear vision is getting the crystal clear vision is not that hard because once you start the company and they say, well, a lot of times it's vague. I agree, particularly in real estate, I want to just make a lot of money. Right, I want to honor on me rich. With on with with starting a business, a lot of times the end game is selling that business or taking it public. So it's it's usually a a more clear, there's more clarity and say, hey, I want to take my business public. And then you say, well, okay, and at you know what amount? Let's call it a billion dollars. I want to give a billion dollars and walk away with you know a hundred million dollars in my own. So usually that is a a clear vision with real estate. It could be, I would probably say, Hey, if I'm flipping house or, or doing real estate investment, I want to create a portfolio or I, I want to get to a point where I'm making 
X million a year. So that that is a good goal. I mean, you want like you know smart goals that are specific, measurable, you know, and, and attainable, realistic, timely. You want to ideally create a smart goal and say, hey, 2028, I want to have you know flipped X houses. I want to make this much revenue, etc. So that's that's the process of figuring out where you want to be. And then what you really want to do is you write that down, right? Once again, it's nice when you write it down formally in a business plan, but I'm okay writing down a piece of paper like Michael Phelps did when he was a kid and said, I'm going to win an Olympic gold medal and looked at it every day for 15 years. That's fine. That works. As hokey as that might sound, it works. So write down your vision. Put it by your in your office, put it next to your mirror, wherever you want it. Anyone who makes fun of you, who cares? Maybe you should be hanging around with them. Okay, it's the whole thing that uh, you know, you're the you're the average of the five people you spend most time with. You know, it's like if you're hanging out with people that are making fun of you and doing that, you're not gonna be successful. It's gonna be really, really hard to be successful if you're hanging out with people that, that make fun of your dreams. So try to find other people that are supportive of your dreams, but come up with that vision write it down and get it written down and look at it. Look at the business plan, look at the piece of paper. Once again, I've written, personally written hundreds of business plans. My firm, I've helped hundreds of thousands of people write business plans. Yes, I'd love to write a business plan, but if you're gonna do something, write it on a piece of paper, in your handwriting, take a piece of tape, put it on the wall, that's your bet. You're doing that. You're ahead of 80% of people. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor. Then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities are seeking tax optimized capital cash flow with appreciation upside without all the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line, 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcapllc.com. And now, yeah, you know what's also I think is so important about this conversation is when you think about being an entrepreneur and when you think about being a real estate investor in particular, each and every deal is unique. Every deal, every single property has its own business plan, right? You know, if you buy a property that's distressed or you buy a property that's value add or you buy a property that's perhaps stabilized, but you think you can add value in an operational capacity and thinking about what's the trajectory of this deal. And you talked about in many businesses, the the goal may be to exit right over a, a period of time or maybe to go public. And when you think about real estate investing, it's really the, the construction of an overall portfolio, but each and every deal has its own business plan and getting clear on, well, what is that end goal? And then reverse engineering the plan to make that happen and say, all right, well, if that's the goal in five years or three years, what needs to happen over the next 90 days, the next month, the next week exactly. or today. Exactly. And so ultimately that gives you clarity to say, Hey, I'm moving in the right direction. And of course, when I get knocked off track, I can course correct. Right. And, and I can look, here's what my plan was, but man, I just got punched in the gut because we all know that we get punched in the gut. And I think if we have a plan and we're willing to be adaptable in that plan, that's what is really the, the, the formula for success. But do you agree with that? And how do you build in contingency plans into business planning yourself? 
Sure, and I, I love what you said about getting positive numbers. That, that happens. Um, before I talk about contingency plans, what you just said, what the key to me also is that learn what worked and what didn't work. So learn that this project was successful, this one wasn't. So what, what, what differentiated the two? And use that, so get more projects like the good one. In terms of planning you know, contingencies, a lot of times things are going to take, typically when you start planning, they're going to take a lot longer than you think. It always takes a lot longer. So I always want to, particularly in the year one goals, I want to stretch it out and say, if you think you do this in, in one year, it's probably going to take two years. So I want to give you more time, particularly as you start learning how long, you know, to give the example of the article, you know, the hour article used to take an hour and a half and because it takes longer and you get better at things, but also you underestimate how long things actually take. Yep. So what I want to do is overestimate as much as possible to allow for the contingencies, getting puss in the gut and, and things that are happening and take things a little off track. Um, just give yourself more time. I like that a lot. I really do. And it's really interesting that you say that because I've looked back on goals that I've set for myself and my businesses, and I've noticed that they come true, but they come true like in year two or two and a half. And I, I set a one year goal. And it's interesting because in the, when you're zoomed in, you almost get deflated. You almost, uh, you know, a little bit of your energy and motivation almost gets taken away. But then when you zoom out, it's like, well, look, it still happened. And I was able to overcome these challenges. And so I think if you commit to it, that's so valuable. But also when you allow yourself to gain momentum by saying, Hey, I can achieve what I've set out for myself. There's so much value in that. But when we kind of drill down even further, and when you think about systems and strategies and execution, one of the things that I know that you're very fond of, uh, is, is a business dashboard. Could you talk a little bit about what is a business dashboard and how can businesses use them to grow? Sure. So business dashboards just, just show how, like my mindset, how organized I am, how focused I am. Business dashboards give you your metrics, your KPIs or key performance indicators on what you want to track in your business. So for example, um, we have a business, we have a business dashboard company called Guiding Metrics that, that does that. So we actually use it, we actually created it for our own business growth. Thing. So for our um, templates that we sell, our business plan templates, what we're looking at is every day we're looking at well, how many sales are we get? How many website visitors are we get? What percentage, um, what is our revenue per website visit? So what that's telling us, so A, what the dashboard does is it gives us the metrics to let us know, are we doing a good job? So, and remember, we have our goals, which says at the end of the year, we want to get to X revenue. And in a month, we need y, you know, y revenue. So now I'm getting a dashboard that's tracking that. So my dashboards not only tell me how much revenue I have in real time, but it actually does the math to say, what percent am I on track? So if my goal for the month is, um, you know, 50,000 and I'm at 3,000, um, you know, four days in, it's going to do that, or three days in, it's going to say, well, I'm only doing $1,000 a day. I'm on track to 30,000, which is less than 50,000. Hey, we're down X percent. So the metrics, should, you know, force you to figure out what you need to accomplish and where you're at. So, you know, if, you know, for us, we're looking at, you know, web traffic and revenue and email metrics and open rates. But, you know, for real estate, you know, there, I'm not a real estate expert, so I can't give you great metrics. But if, if I was, you know, looking at, you know, flipping houses, I'm going to look, well, you know, I got to, how many do I have to research? So like do the math. Like, hey, I know what I need to, if I'm going to flip, 
you know, 20 houses, I need to research a hundred houses mm-hmm. and this, you know, just getting the metrics down so that, you know, you achieve your goal. So basically what it is with the planning, you take the planning and you say, Hey, for monthly goals here, getting back to getting some metrics down. What, what metrics do I need to do? How many website visitors do I need? How many appointments do I need to make? How many leads do I need to speak to? How many, how much money do I need to raise? And then figuring and then tracking that on a daily basis to figure out what, where am I, where am I at? Am I getting, Am I on track to get there? It's so good. So good. And and I actually, it's, it's so interesting that uh, really this is one of your parts of expertise, because when I think about KPIs, like in our real estate business, we look at, you know, leading indicators and then lagging indicators. Of course, the lagging indicator would be net operating income of the portfolio, right? You know, or really that, that encompasses all of the different metrics. But you talk about, you know, if you're going to be flipping houses or even just making investments or purchasing properties, whether it's multifamily properties, retail properties, office buildings, you name it across all asset classes, it comes down to well, how many deals am I underwriting? How many deals am I touring? How many calls with brokers or with sellers am I having? And there's so many others, but when you think about execution of the business plan of the assets, there's other KPIs you could be tracking in terms of, all right, well, what's our, what's our occupancy? What's our vacancy? What's our percentage leased? You know, how many, how many showings have we had across uh, the portfolio in a, in a given week or a given day? And you can prescribe issues by understanding and really getting a pulse of what's actually going on in the business. So I just think that's so valuable. And I think that any real estate entrepreneur investor can apply that in their business and get more granular and build things to be more systematic rather than just, Hey, how do I feel that day? But, but Dave, as we grow into, you know, expansion and scaling our business, you know, one of the things that many real estate investors realize is that if they want to grow, if they want to do big things, they can do that with other people's money and they can invite others to participate alongside them. And so when it comes down to capital raising, give me a little sense of maybe some advice that you might give to your younger self on capital raising. I think I'm, I'm anticipating one thing and it might be to clearly communicate your plan and have an understanding for all parties to understand, Hey, how are we going to execute on this plan? And what is it? And why, what's the supporting data for the execution of that plan? But what advice may you give your younger self in terms of really optimizing your capital raising? Sure. So yes, it is about conveying your plan and your, your vision. Um, what I've learned in doing a lot of capital raising meetings over the year, um, trust is super important, obviously. And so you, you really need to build trust. Um, you need to build credibility. And the best credibility um, you can build is, you know, the best predictor of future success is past success. So I always want to think about what have I accomplished in the past that gives will give me credibility and explain that here's here's what we've already done. That's going to give the investor the credibility that you the credibility with the investor that that you're actually going to achieve that. The more organized, you know, having a desk or having a solid business plan will give the investor more credibility and trust in you that you're actually going to execute. It's very easy to present a vision, right? It's harder to execute on that vision. So what you want to be able to do is give the investor the confidence that you're going to execute on the business. That, that not only do they like your vision, but that you can execute, that you're going to execute on. Um, liking you is also really, really important, right? If you have, if there's like this young person that asks me for an investment and they're an ass, right? It's like, I don't care how bright and successful it's going to be. I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to be involved, 
right? I don't want I don't want that negative energy, that this 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 you know jerk and that's money. So you know, if you gotta really keep that in mind, that's like they need to know you, like you, trust you, believe in you. Um, do they need all those things? No, but if you get all those factors, your success is gonna be so much greater in doing that. And then you really wanna have and maybe it's it's easier in some real estate um, aspects. You need to have a, a very concise explanation of what you're trying to accomplish, right? So, you know, with a, with a business, a lot of times, um, you know, one of my favorite examples is this company did not do well, but it's company called um, Book Swim, and they were they were trying to do Netflix for books, and the point was that. It's called a high concept pitch, which is Netflix for books. In three words, you know exactly what they're doing. They're basically, you know, this is back in the day when Netflix was actually shipping CDs in the mail. These guys were going to ship um, books in the mail, you know, keep the book for two weeks, finish the book, ship it back. So that model didn't work for various reasons. But the idea that in three words, you're able to explain the business versus, hey, we are a book rental company, it's like, it's hard to really explain that in other ways, but in three words, Netflix for books, you get, you get that pitch across. So that high concept pitch is what it's called. And Hollywood invented that. I think, I think um, Aliens was Jaws in Space. And so, you know, it's basically what you want to do is be able to crisply, cleanly, concisely explain what that vision is and what you're trying to accomplish and doing that can, gets people excited. A lot of times, and I, once again, I, 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 my, my ignorance in the real estate space, I, I apologize, but a lot of times, particularly like angel investors in, in business investing, they don't write and check themselves. They talk to their spouse about it. They talk to a friend about it beforehand. And you want them to be able to explain it quickly to a friend yes. and have their friend or spouse say, great idea, you know, that's awesome. You don't want them to say, so let, let's say I'm able to concisely explain or not very concisely explain Hey, we're a book rental company that's going to do this. And then if you explain that to your friend, it, you know, it's, it's, it's going to get worse and worse, right? You're going to explain it. You do a worse job than I do because I live and breathe it. And it's hard to explain. And then your friend's going to say, I don't really get it. Yes. How would you invest in that? So I think getting that really crisp, concise explanation of your vision and what you're trying to accomplish is really, really important. Yeah. And it's really interesting because simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And I almost think subconsciously what that communicates to a potential equity partner is that, Hey, this, this individual who's raising capital, who's offering this investment opportunity understands this investment very deeply to where he can explain it very simply. Because I think that, that, that really, um, you know, when you have a, a, an investment or a deal that you're, you know, you can't really explain it. It almost comes off in that you don't understand it yourself and you're not prepared to execute on it. So I think that that is a great tip to be concise. And you talked about a high concept pitch. I think that's a great mind expansion for real estate investors to borrow something from Hollywood, to borrow something from publicly traded companies to say, all right, well, how can we get more simplistic and concise in the way that we explain? Talk to me, what's the, what's the largest amount of capital you've ever raised for a deal? And what did that look like? Give us a sense of a little look behind the curtain there. Uh, I think we, I think it was um, DCIP. It was actually in the, in the film industry. Uh, I think it was a $500 million raise. So that's, that's a, it's a big, a big deal. How long did it take? Uh, uh, that, that only took a few months. Um, you know, we weren't the bankers behind that. We did the business planning and consulting for that. Um, <laughs> It doesn't always take forever. Some deals also do, do take forever. I mean, I did a 
a technology that I raised three million dollars for that took you know nine months of grueling work. It just depends, like grueling work. Um, you know, meeting. You know, it was just it was just metrics. Hey, we created a list of 150 possible venture capitalists. <laughs> contacted all 150. Got 50 that were interested in learning more. Out of the 50 that want to learn more, 25 took meetings. Out of 25 took meetings, 10 took second meetings. I mean, it was just. It was just the, the funnel down, down, down. It just took forever to do. And so it just, sometimes it takes a long time and sometimes you get lucky and you meet the right investor quickly. So and what do you- deal size. It doesn't have to do with deal size always. You know, a, a tiny deal can take longer than a huge deal. Why do you think the, the difference, when you think about the $500 million raise versus the $3 million raise that you just shared, what do you think the difference in terms of the timing of that execution was? Was it the time in the market? Was it the offering, maybe the, the potential return, the projections and so forth? Or was it the different nature of the style of investors that you're going after? What was the difference in terms of the, the time frame there? The $500 million deal was very easy for the investors to understand what the deal was how it was going to play into the future, what, what it was going to accomplish and how they could benefit from it. The $3 million deal was a brand new technology. Um, the guy was a PhD world expert in the technology. Technology had not been used in this commercial application. So there was risks there. And there was also, um, the technology was very widely used in the military, but didn't have a lot of commercial industrial use. And there, so there were a lot of risk factors. Would it be adopted? It was just a, a riskier proposition. And so it didn't, it wasn't as clear cut to the investor that, hey, it's, you know, it's, it's like, we all want like, as an investor, hey, it's so obvious. Like you want to make it like, it seems like you're stupid for not making the investment. <laughs> and so for the $5 million deal, it may, they may see up my, for the other one, there were so many things that they could see that could go wrong. And that's generally investors' mentality. Typically investors that are getting pitched with deals all the time is they're thinking about, their, they, they take a negative perspective. Why is this not going to work? And you want to make it so stupid simple for them saying <clears throat> obviously this is going to work right and, you, mm -hmm. and the more you can convey that simplistic thing you said and in specific terms here's what it is and that's why i also like the high concept pitch you say you know you know netflix for books well if netflix was so successful shouldn't this you know this makes sense because you're piggybacking on something that's already successful so i think the five million dollar deal did a very good job of doing that and piggybacking on other successes First, the other one, the million dollar deal, wasn't able to do that. Well, I think we're investing in the positive mindset of the listeners today because we have a reference point of, you know what, we in real estate, we have a tried and true asset class that has proven over years and years and years, hundreds of years, really, of its viability. And, you know, it's it's not a hope and a pray and a wish. And of course, there are much more riskier real estate plays than others. But if you prove, you know, consistent cash flow and you have a clear business plan, you're answering questions ahead of those questions being asked. I think you're setting yourself up for a very significant capital raise and an opportunity and offering. And so I think it's very exciting. Uh, but is there any failures that you've experienced from the capital raising side yourself or, or, or others that you'd like to speak to that, that may be valuable for the listeners to, to learn more about? Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I failed a whole bunch of times. Um, but, you know, a, a lot of times I look at failures in, as we just didn't write, you know, find the right investor, right? It's like, you know, when you look at something that is fundable, like a fundable business plan, hey, this, this makes sense. It's either we didn't find the right investors 
or the investors did not believe in the entrepreneurs, right? It's like, and so, you know, a lot of times in our business on business, you know, can you guarantee this is going to get funding? No, no, but I can guarantee that's a fundable business plan. Meaning that if the right person has the business plan, they could get funded. Now, on one hand, you know, I mentioned Elon Musk. Elon Musk is giving any business plan, someone's going to fund it. He's going to say, "Hey, he's going to figure it out." He's a great entrepreneur. But at the end of the day, it's the you know they're betting on they talk like it's betting on the jockey, not the horse, right? So you as the real estate you know entrepreneur, you're the jockey. And so you need to find the investors and you need to convince them that you're going to, you know, be the right chaperone of their, of their money. You're going to be, you know, if you take it very, very seriously, you're going to, you're, you're trying, you're going to make them a profit. Um, and so a lot of times it's, it's you, the, the, the entrepreneur is unable to convey the confidence. They won't convey, you know, that they can do it or, you know, know that, that they like them, they trust them. They weren't able to, to do that. Not everyone has that skill set. Not everyone has the credentials to do that. Dave, what role has mindset played in your success? Because one of I, I'm just kind of absorbing this conversation with you right now. And I'm, I'm getting a sense that, you know what, you're so organized, you're diligent, and you answer questions before they're asked, even of yourself, your team, of your partners. And, and maybe that plays a role into your confidence. And, you know, you know that you're prepared, right? You planned and you plan to execute. But what role has mindset played in your success over the years? Uh, mindset's everything. It's everything. Um, I'm lucky that I was brought up in a very nurturing household with a very loving family that constantly gave me positive reinforcement. And it enabled me to uh, be very confident. I was also a very good athlete as a kid, as I mentioned. So that gave me, I grew up in a town where athletics were everything. So that gave me confidence. So it gave me confidence that I was smart and I can get things done. Even with that, I still remember, you know, years ago getting my hands on, you know, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich and start reading that, like, and just being like my mind blown, like, you know, with just just great ideas and maybe even more positive and optimistic. I'm extremely optimistic. I'm extremely positive. Um, And I think that that helps a lot because I always see the silver lining. Like we talk about like, you know, throwing spaghetti against the wall and, and failures, you know, I'm able to look at that and not take it personally and say, I'm not happy. I'm not happy at all. I want everything to be a success, but I'm like, Hey, if I can have one success and I have multiple first, that's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to shrug that off because I'm going to, I'm just focused on successes and that's all mindset. It's so easy to get dragged down by the negative and every day something happens. A website will go down, you know, this, this, some bad things happen all the time. And, you know, you got to, you know, as you age and get more mature and see the bigger picture, you say, that's okay. Not everything's going to be perfect, but I know that I'm going to maintain my confidence. Things are going to be okay. And my wife for years has hated that because every, everything I've always said is, it's going to be okay. That's my answer to everything. It's going to be okay. My kids are still alive. It turns out everything was okay. When they got, you know, this sickness and that's, you know, it's going to be okay. And so my mindset is always, it's going to be okay. Now that doesn't mean there's not, may not be a ton of work to make it okay, but it's eventually going to be okay. Yes. You know, and maybe it's from me saying it that so many times in my head that I finally believe it. And my parents always said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And so I think it's like, to me, that that's the mindset. It's going to be okay. 
but not to say, not to say that blindly, but say, it's going to be okay because I'm going to work, I'm going to make it okay, right? So I think it's it's all mindset. So I didn't have that mindset. So many things have gone wrong in so many areas over the years. It would be so easy to say, oh, you know, we're done. You know, this is not going to work. So, you know, we're, we're in it. But think, you know, always think about what is working, focus more on what's working to say, you know, you don't need, we can have a thousand failures. We see one success, we see one. Yes. Your behaviors follow your beliefs. If you're yeah. confident that everything will be okay, then you act in that, that way. And it's, it's amazing yeah. the difference in your trajectory. You mentioned confidence. It's almost like you've got this baseline of confidence that no matter what, you're going to get knocked down. You expect to get knocked down and you say, well, you know what? It's going to be okay. And I think we can all train ourselves to do that. We get to choose our beliefs and it's not easy to do that. It takes a long period of time, but over years and years and years of that, of that practice and that trajectory and that course correction to say, you know what, even if there is a challenge, it's going to be okay. I just think, you know what, anything is possible when you have that framework and you talked about confidence and a few other words that start with C uh, in, in the same vein that I think actually put a bow on this conversation pretty well are certainty clarity and confidence. And when you talk about being clear about your plan and executing on that vision and understanding where you need to be on a, you know, monthly basis, on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, that gives you the certainty and the clarity to have the confidence that you can do whatever it takes to, to succeed. So Dave, I love this. And uh, I want to transition into our rapid fire section of our podcast. We call it the rare air questionnaire. And it's all about being uncommon, you know, confidence to a large degree can be uncommon, but we get to choose that. And so I want to dive into a few questions here for you. Now, being a prolific author yourself, I would be curious if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? Um, I'm, I'm not going to do the last few years. I'll give you some of my favorites of all time, if you don't mind. Perfect. Uh, there's a book called Thinker Toys by a gentleman named Michael McCalco. He um, worked for the army many, many moons ago when he was charged with figuring out um, how inventions are made and how do you become creative and come up with new ideas to create inventions for the army uh, and everyday life. And it's just fascinating uh, book on brainstorming and thinking about things differently. And when you're up against a, you know, a wall and you can't make things work, just thinking, hey, how can I get around this obstacle? So I thought that was fantastic. Um, I love uh, Chaldini's influence just thinking about how to influence people, particularly talk, we talk about investors, it's about influencing investors and, and scarcity and how you, how you come across, do, do things. And then uh, another book I absolutely love is uh, Jay Abraham, um, getting everything you, you can at all you got. Um, he gave me the, the quote that I, um, the line that I quote the most is his line, Jay Abraham's line of your customers are geniuses. They know exactly what they want. It's to me, it's like, it's, it's so simple and so beautiful. Your customers are geniuses. They know exactly what they want. It's like, when you have that mindset, it's like, wow, you just you think things differently. You think about, less about what you're selling, more about what customers are buying. And it gets you in the right, right mindset, right perspective, I think. Yeah. We, you know, we have a tendency of overcomplicating things, but you know, let's get back to the basics. What, what does the customer want? (laughs) Your customer is a genius. That's beautiful. Dave, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? I exercise. I exercise every day. Yes. I take some days off, but I exercise every day and I have a lot of energy. And I think what it does is it allows me to get, you know, use my energy 
effectively. And then I, I always have energy because I'm exercising. I'm constantly moving my body. Um, and I think that's really, really important. And the exercise just helps my body. I'm never sluggish. Like I, I don't even drink coffee. I just, I'm up. I do have to take a shower. I wake up, but I'm, I'm alive. Like I don't need coffee. I'm, I'm alive because I'm exercising and I constantly, my brain is functioning very well. Physically, I feel great. I'm able to work very, very hard. I think that, that elevates my, my lifestyle. And it's, it's because it's a routine. Like I've gotten injured a couple times. I broke my shoulder a couple of years ago and I couldn't do anything for several months and getting back into it was hard. But for me, it's just like getting in the routine that, you know, I go to the gym every day at five o'clock. They all know me. Hey, I mean, it's like everyone, everyone there knows me. I got my front desk. They say hi to me. They go up upstairs. Everyone's like, hey, how are you? Just, it's the routine. And when you have the routine, it makes it easy to do. And that's just, I think, completely elevates my, my life because I feel great. I have energy. I have ideas. I have clarity. And it's all, I believe, a big part of that is just the routine of exercising every day. So does the exercise routine, just to get a little bit more detail, does it look like weight training? Does it look like cardio, swimming? Give us a sense of what does the uh, routine look, actually look like? It used to be, for years, it was lift one day, cardio the next day. Cardio could be mountain biking, uh, running, elliptical, etc. Now, I actually do, um, I actually lift now every day. I met a guy that said he hadn't done cardio in 20 years, and he was ripped, and he was 50 years old. <laughs> what? So I, I lift every day now. One day I do chest, chest, um, chest and triceps. The other day I do biceps and, and shoulders. And then I do um, I do a little cardio, just walking around or getting on on a treadmill. And I do cardio as well. But I lift now every day. I love it, man. That's awesome. And I, I, I would say the same thing. I mean, exercise is such a game changer and you're, it's so interesting too, because if you miss two days, it's interesting in that even if you have a solid routine for years, it's harder to get back. And so remembering that, you know what, our mind tells us it's harder than it really is, is a very important distinction that we can utilize in so many other ways in our life and in our business as well. But Dave, what's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? I think I call, I hold people pretty accountable. Um, you know, if someone says they're going to do something, I'm going to write it down. I have a terrible search for memory. That's my bet. <laughs> not, not a good search for memory, so I write everything down. So I hold other people accountable by making sure that I write down or they write down what they say they're going to do. If someone says they're going to do it, I'm going to hold them accountable for it and um, make sure that they do it. And if they don't do it, I'm going to make sure that they know they said they were going to do this and they didn't and that, that, that thing is really, really important. Yeah, man. I'll tell you what, a, a goal is only a wish and let us, unless it's written down. Right. And, uh, you know, I think you just brought us completely full circle there. Dave Levinsky, thank you so much for being on the podcast, my friend. It was awesome. Uh, is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? Just, uh, you know, if there's one thing to take away from this is I want you to Think about what it is you want to achieve. Once again, right at the beginning of 20, just about 2023 is going to start. Start there. What do you want to, you know, it's December 31st, 2022. And what does your life look like? What is your, what, you know, I think it's, it's obviously a dream. What is your vision of what you would like your life to look like just over a year from now? And then what do you need to accomplish next year in order to get there? And that's it. And write it down. And have the confidence that you can do it. And if, you, if, you're, if, you, if you're people around you are saying you can't do it, 
find other people that support you. Find some sort of group of people that believe in you because you're not going to have the confidence uh, in yourself if nobody else has confidence in you. So figure out that vision, write it down, surround yourself. Or even if you're, you can't get away from these people that are, that are not confident, that are, that are negative, find some confident people in your life and meet them and speak to them on the phone, do whatever you need to do um, to get that positive mindset. Dave, I want to acknowledge you in a huge way today because uh, before the podcast, you said, hey, I'm not here to sell anything. I'm not here to pitch anything. I'm here to serve. I'm here to add value. You did that today. And I also want to acknowledge you in that, um, you know, you had there's a lot of tendency for people to overcomplicate and for people to make things seem more complicated than they really are because they want to, you know, remain in that position of, you know, receiving value or receiving compensation for delivering on complex ideas. But you keep it simple. And, you know, it's, it's hard to do the simple things, but I just appreciate that. And I appreciate you, Dave Levinsky. Uh, the, the listeners can find you at growthink.com as well as on LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, is there anywhere else where the listeners can find you? Twitter at Dave Levinsky. Anywhere else, Dave? I think, I think you got, you got all, all the key places. Awesome, my friend. Well, Dave, until next time, we will see you then. But thanks again for being on Elevate. You got to Elevate Nation, Dave Levinsky, bringing the heat, bringing the value. And I just appreciate him. I hope that you learned half as much as I did and hope you realize that really the process is simple. It's not easy to execute, but it is simple. It's about getting crystal clear on where you're going. It's about understanding what does that look like. It's about planning the different mechanisms within your company, within your business, within your execution towards getting there, understanding what are the timelines. Maybe it's a five-year timeline. Maybe it's a three-year timeline. What needs to happen as a reverse engineer of that process? What sort of KPIs do you need to be tracking? What sort of relationships do you need to be developing? What sort of trust and credibility do you need to be strengthening so that you can get where you want to go? Do you have a big vision for your business? Do you have a big vision for your life? Well, I'm sure you do. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you have a massive vision for your life and for your business. And so allow this simple process to take shape and for you to really fall in love with the mundane because ultimately that's what it's all about. There, you know, there's only a few times where the bright lights and the flashiness and the excitement and the adulation come to play during your path. And so the question is, are you going to fall in love with the mundane? Are you going to make the boring, you know, the, the process a part of really your journey that you just appreciate so much in the day in and the day out uh, of the execution of that. So I just want to challenge you and I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show because there's really so much here. There's a lot of wisdom in terms of capital raising. There's a lot of wisdom in terms of planning and execution and the mindset, the mindset piece, um, thinking about how can we apply the football mindset to this? How can we apply that confidence mindset to what we're doing? How can we train ourselves to be confident when we get knocked down? The answers are in this podcast. I want to encourage you to repeat and listen because repetition is the mother of all skill. I also want to encourage you to share this with a friend, have a discussion about this podcast with someone else because we learn more when we discuss. And also, by the way, Elevate can only grow if you share. So please pay it forward. And until next time, Elevate Nation, make sure you take massive action. Apply what you learned today because knowledge is only potential power. The real power is in taking massive action. Until next time, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, 
visit elevatepod.com.